The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapters 15 and 21. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, help us now to hear what you have for us this morning. Give us grace as we gather this day with all of the different ways in which we present ourselves and the ways that we showed up this morning. Stressed or anxious, depressed or angry, excited, really just not sure about what the future holds. However we find ourselves today, help us to believe that you have set this meeting up, that we are here because you have seen to it that you know us, you see us in all of our complexity, and your response is always to love us, to restore, renew, and heal. 
Give us grace to see that happen today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, we are starting this new uh, series, Experiencing Jesus, and this first one is Jesus' Friend. And I thought, you know, why preach a sermon? Why not just be led by this amazing musical? Just lighten it up a little around here, people. Come on, it's a sad, it's sad. We need some fun. Therapists will be at the back for those of you who are traumatized by that. My wife said that uh, it should be called Cars for Kids. Where are they now? Get it? You know the Cars for Kids commercial? See? If you don't watch Giants baseball, you may not see it as much. That was kind of interesting way to start. But yeah, we are talking about Jesus as a friend. And I like it that this is first. Because, you know, somebody would say, really? So you're going to choose friendship as the very first thing to talk about what it means to experience Jesus? What about experiencing Jesus as Lord and Savior and Teacher? And we will actually look at all three of those categories. And they're important categories. But I think they're cold and distant and maybe not very transformative without the foundational warmth of friendship, of that foundational idea that Jesus before Jesus is anything else for us and in us is our friend, a safe place for us to go, a place where we can be with who we actually are and not just this projection that we constantly give to the watching world. It's all about relationship. If you're exploring faith for the first time, that's a huge theme. God as friend. Abraham, Moses, they were all called the friend of God. And Jesus, as you see, says, I don't call you my servants, I call you my friends. I love the work we do at City Hope Community Center because part of the genius of what Paul and Sally and others have created there is this emphasis on relationship where folks who come in from the tenderloin who are unhoused or maybe who are housed but in very difficult situations Their names are being called out loud. Name tags are given. We serve them at the table. We don't just treat them as as in some kind of an assembly line fashion. It's all about hearing your name called and, 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 and developing relationships because that's where the good stuff happens. That's where transformation can take place. And so Jesus uses this word, friends. Uh, there's a sermon I found, a pastor pointed out this. He said that Jesus uses the word friend. It carries a special meaning that was connected with the courts of the great kings of the ancient Near East. At these courts, there was a very select group of people called the friends of the king. So the king would actually go to these people before he would go to any of the other people that he had to talk with. He had a certain inner circle of trusted people. Jesus says, that's the kind of relationship I want with you. I want that kind of closeness with you. That's what I have chosen you to be that close to me. And so with that in mind, what can we say about Jesus being experienced as a friend? Well, the first thing is, is who experienced Jesus' friendship? And I think, of course, the short answer is anyone who wanted it and anyone who didn't. And the reason I say this is because as I think about Jesus as friend, we have to look at Jesus really Just think about the very first ever Lord's Supper or communion that Jesus sets up. He serves communion to a denier, uh, a a person who would doubt significantly, 
um, a person who would betray him, they all got the meal. Jesus says, everybody eats with me. My table fellowship is, my table manners is everyone's in. In fact, we could say that meals are a great way to see Jesus' friendship in action because who do you have at meals if it's not your friends? And so who did he eat with? And in fact, the Gospels, I think, could be retitled Jesus and his many meals because it's meal after meal after meal and often with all the wrong people, quote unquote wrong, because they weren't wrong, but Jesus broke social custom. Banquets and meals in those days were really a picture of the hierarchical society um, you know, in, in miniature in many ways. All of the oppressive barriers were still there. Men didn't eat with women. Women served the men at those meals. The poor and the rich never ate at the same table. The pious and the sinners never at the same table. And Jesus says, let's mix it up. He's constantly doing that. Meals were a political statement. Richard Rohr said that his most consistent social action was eating in new ways. And when Jesus did this, and every time you see Jesus sit down for a meal in the New Testament, be ready for an event of some time. Something he is going to, some barrier he's going to cross, some irritation he's going to cause where he's upsetting the normal processes. And so he, he mixes it up. He brought every class of person to his table because he knew that we are all bound up with one another. To quote Martin Luther King Jr., when he said this, he said, is that going to pop up there? Yeah? Is it up there? There it is. All of life is interrelated. We are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. See, Jesus knows that friendship is powerful. Jesus knows that welcome is incredibly powerful. That he can't really do this, the, the transformative work that needs to be done. God does it through relationships, through the establishment of that kind of relationship with us. Because when people are truly welcomed, as I said a little while ago, their lives are transformed. You know, I told this story, I think, a few years ago. It happened in October of 2017. But the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus went on a tour of the South. And they went to five or six southern states to pro proclaim their mission of community activism, compassion, acceptance, and love through music. And the story that I was told about this, and that eventually got written up about it as well, is that they were in a church in Memphis, Tennessee. And it came time for the Eucharist. And the pastor stood up and said, everyone is welcome to the table. Um, and the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus were up in the balcony, and halfway through the Eucharist, the, the pastor stands up and, and, and pushes pause. and says, we're not going to serve this million longer. And he said something along the lines of those who were standing in, sitting in the balcony. He said, when I say that everyone's welcome to this table, I mean everyone. And members of the chorus began to stand up and come down, and there were tears and there was a major kind of emotional response to this, that it was voiced that, no, you are welcome too. Please come down. Because we know when people are welcome, they flourish. Transformation can take place. And so Jesus experienced it, his friendship with everyone. And so we invite everyone as well to the table. Second thing is, how did they experience it? Who experienced it? Everybody who wanted it and those who didn't as well. Jesus welcomes everyone. The second thing is, how do they experience it? That's a very important question. And when I thought about that, I thought, you know, I, would, I think the term failure, how does a friendship transform us? We are safe with our own failures 
with our truest friends. The people that have had the biggest impact in your life, I'll bet there are people who sat with you through your failure. That they felt like they could go to you in their failure. And we see Jesus doing this all the time because we have the, what I call the duh disciples in the New Testament failing all the time. And we get to see how Jesus, and the most, the, the best example of it is if you've come to City Church for a number of years, you know it's about my favorite passage to preach on, is in John 21. In John 21, we had this story that was read a second ago where it's two weeks after the resurrection. Um, you know the disciples are going, what on earth have we gotten ourselves into here? Are we going to be up on one of those crosses soon? Has Jesus risen again from the dead or are we just dreaming? I mean, imagine what must be going on in their minds. So they're out there fishing, that's what they do. And we have the, another fishing story where Jesus tells them you know, on the side of the shore, they don't recognize him necessarily, but he calls out, cast your net over here. Of course, the net comes back with a ton of fish. Peter recognizes Jesus and jumps into the water and swims toward Jesus, not away. Very important. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, only a few days previous. Peter, who would have felt like an abject failure, jumps in the boat and goes toward Jesus, not away. Fascinating, huh? And Jesus, as you see, makes breakfast for them there on the shore. Because Peter, in the midst of his failure, wanted to be with his friend, who he had directly failed. And it raises these questions. I mean, think about Peter. So Peter, in Luke chapter 5, this same kind of fishing event happens where they can't catch any fish. Jesus tells them to cast their net. They come up with all this fish. And in that episode, Peter says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Peter knows that Jesus is divine in that moment. But I would say Peter knows something much more transformative in this moment. Because now he knows, not only is Jesus divine, he knows that he, Peter, is a loved failure. That it was safe to be a failure with Jesus. And that, that gives all sorts of new transformative action to this more dry theological idea that Jesus was God. Sure, Jesus was God. Jesus was man. I understand the theological formulation. But that's not going to transform me, I don't believe, until I understand how much Jesus is actually for me, even in the midst of my failure, precisely in the midst of your failure and mine. And that is transformative. And so the question becomes, whose voice do you live, whose voice do you hear in your failure? And what are they saying? Might you hear the voice of Jesus saying to you in the midst of your failure, let's talk. Let's have breakfast. I make breakfast for failures. That's what I do. And another question to ask for yourself on this as we seek to apply it a little bit is, are you the kind of person that people feel they can go to in their failure? Do people move towards you in failure or do they move away from you? Ask your spouse, ask your friends, ask those close to you, even ask your kids. Hard question, I know. But this is part of the kind of people that I believe Jesus is trying to see developed. 
Jesus makes breakfast for failures on the side of that lake. One more thing, I should say, and, and he's not afraid of the hard conversation that they had to have. And so Jesus famously asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter, you know, had his back and forth as well. And Jesus is like, I'm not, don't ask me about John. Don't ask me about these other, I'm just talking about you right now. So this is what John, in the first chapter of John, it says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And it seems to me that's a good friend. A good friend is someone who's full of grace and truth. They will have hard conversations and try to create the conditions for which you can actually be a failure. You can be your true, full self with all your contradictions and not be rejected or judged. Transformative. Full of grace and truth. Real friendship seems to me will have both. All right, now, how it was experienced, who it was experienced with, what's our response? Well, a couple things. This is all kind of in the area of, of application. Uh, one, what about the tables that you're building in your life right now? Who gets to sit at them? Who have you, because you're not being intentional, have unintentionally excluded from your table fellowship, whatever that may look like, a cup of coffee at a cafe, people in your own home, gathering friends, seeing that new person and making sure they're connected in so they're not alone? Have you, if we're not careful, I think this is a truth for human beings in general, if we're not careful, we're just going to hang out with the people that we're cozy with. But how are you in your life, what are you doing in your life right now to, for your table to be set as wide as it can possibly be? That's one thing to think about. Another thing to think about it is, or maybe put it this way, put it another way is, how are you robbing yourself right now of the wisdom and support you might have if you were setting a table for friendship as wide as Jesus' is. I, uh, I preached a little bit on this a few years ago, and I found that, and I, this is what I said. I know it's a little weird to quote myself, but I did write this, and I think it does apply, so there you have it. Um, I'm not going to start talking the third person all the time, by the way. Fred Harrell says, no, no, no. But I, I did write this little Jesus gives us a new kind of banquet to throw. Invite the poor, the person with disabilities, the lame and the blind, the outcasts, the transgender persons, the black and brown-skinned persons, the economically marginalized persons, the lonely ones who don't make good conversation, the smelly, the difficult to understand, the ones who will never repay you a thing. Invite them to your banquet so you can listen, learn, be enriched, empathize, to rescue you from your narcissism, to show you the way of dependence and helplessness and powerlessness. Prioritize the unimpressive and then maybe you will be set free from your need to be impressive. Or maybe to find out your definition of impressive was actually backward. Challenging words, but this is, this is part of what it means to follow Jesus. You know, the weird thing about being a pastor, this is, this is free here, by the way. The weird thing about being a pastor is I don't really choose my friends. Think about it. It's an interesting job. I don't really choose my friends. I have to be friends with everybody. Even some of you I have to be friends with. No, it's, it's easy to be friends. It's easy to be friends with everybody in this congregation. But you get the idea is that I, I, I have a life where I have developed really deep friendships. And if I'm really honest, I probably wouldn't have known that person very well. Nothing in common. But here's, here's the great privilege of being a pastor. And I mean this. 
I was missing out on so many people I needed to get to know. So many stories that have enriched my life. So many ways in which my life has been full and filled with the lives of other people that I may or may not have actually been friends with if I hadn't been called for, hey, pastor, can we have conversation? It really is something. I, re I remember the very first few years when I was a campus minister at the University of Tennessee. It's this one person who was just incredibly difficult to talk to. Just had a hard, just was really having a hard time in life in general. It's just, and I'm telling you, 30 minutes with this person, I would just be completely exhausted. And I became extremely close to that person. Because over time, we found our stride. And I had somebody that was outside of my kind of network of people that was on the inside. It, it's changed my life. That's the interesting thing about friendships. So will you forge these friendships full of grace and truth? Who is that for you? Who is that for you in your life? Where you know you can be all of who you are and that you have a friendship full of grace and truth. Because the only real love to be found in this world is to be found when you are fully known. And part of that takes imagination. Part of that takes you learning more deeply, me learning more deeply, what it would be like to sit in that person's place to develop empathy. Howard Thurman, in his uh, transformative book, Lord, it's so good, called The Inward Journey, he says this about imagination. He says, the place where the imagination shows its greatest powers is in the miracle which it creates. And he speaks a bit in patriarchal language. It's the way it was. When one man standing in his place is able, while remaining there, to put himself in another man's place to send his imagination forth to establish a beachhead in another man's spirit. And from that vantage point, so to blend with the other's landscape that what he sees and feels is authentic. This is the great adventure in human relations. What we do not permit our imagination to do in the work of understanding others turns in upon ourselves with disaster and sometimes terror. Here's the thing. I do believe in direct experiences with Jesus. I feel like I've had some. But more often than not, you're going to experience Jesus through others. That's how. Through others. This is why the online thing is great. I'm so thankful that we have this technology and it's necessary. But it's why it's also necessary for us to be together and gather. It's hard to be the body of Christ when we can't be, see each other face to face. That's been part of the pain, right? It's been part of the depression that we've all experienced as a community over the last two years, is trying to navigate that. And we certainly have begun to see just how deeply we all need it. So see how powerful it is. It's so, so powerful to make room for others, to extend friendship and welcome. I mean, I'm telling you, I see it happen all the time in this community of people. I see it happen all the time as I sit across from someone at a coffee shop and they tell me what it means for them to be able to go to a church and bring them their whole selves. I had that, I had that conversation just recently this past week with someone who has been a Christian for many, many years and now is in the midst of a ton of doubt, going through kind of a dark night of the soul, which I can totally relate to. And she said to me, she said, you know, you always talk about 
how we need to be welcoming and how welcoming and how important it is to be a welcoming church. And now I know, I know that I'm glad that it's welcoming me right now in the middle of my doubt. That's the great adventure we have before us. And when we really give ourselves to it and that welcome, people's lives are changed. I'll finish with this quote from Diana Butler Bass. Now, this sermon series is kind of based on her book, Freeing Jesus. And she talks about experiencing Jesus in six or seven ways. We're, we're going to look at all of them the first as a friend. So I'm not going right out of those chapters and veering off quite a bit, actually. But I would encourage you to read the book if you would like to during this series. She says, The story of the New Testament is that the risk of friendship is the risk that frees us from fear and reshapes our lives. It's better to go together than to go alone. Jesus befriends us, opening our hearts to genuine love and the capacity to forgive each other, welcome all, and act justly in the world. Friendship with Jesus may begin on the playground or in the Sunday school class while wandering in the woods or pretty much anywhere, but it becomes an adventure, a journey, as the relationship grows and changes over a lifetime. That is what friendship is, the field where the wildflowers grow, where the unpredictable, beautiful things of being human come forth from the soil where we flourish with others. Mm. Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask that you would make us more and more a community of deep, authentic friendship, that our friendship with Jesus will begin to impact us in our own relationships with others. And that we will even see Sunday morning gatherings and other gatherings as a chance to practice the friendship we have with you. Give us grace to do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.